0: So let's say that you wanted to use magic to bring good luck into your life. So you might use a charm that is associated with luck, such as hanging up a horseshoe in your home or carrying a rabbit's foot. Now I know what you're going to ask. You might be asking, Aunt Carla, just how lucky was that rabbit who lost their foot and possibly their life? And I'd say that's a good question. And the answer is that in many cultures, rabbits are known for their rapid production and high fertility rates. And this association with prolific breeding is seen as a symbol of abundance, prosperity, and good fortune. Therefore, the idea of a plentiful population of rabbits corresponds to the concept of a bountiful and prosperous life. There you go. Sympathetic magic, also known as imitative magic, is based on imitation or correspondence. Anytime you perform a spell, you are manipulating objects or performing actions that influence your desired outcome. Tune into this episode of You Are The Spell to learn how symbolism affects your magic. Welcome to the You Are The Spell podcast with Aunt Carla. Join me each episode As I teach witches and other spiritual practitioners how to develop magical confidence and sovereignty in their practice. In the last couple of episodes, I've talked about setting intentions and choosing your elements. And in this episode, I will get to the nitty gritty of spellcraft, where all the quote unquote magic really happens. All spells use some form of sympathetic magic, meaning that the ritual incorporates. Imitation or correspondence. This belief is based on the idea that the universe is a web of interconnected energy and that there is a natural connection between different things such as planets, herbs, colors, crystals, and symbols. They are said to be in sympathy. And by working with these correspondences, a magician can tap into this energy and use it to achieve their goals. So by affecting an object or person in some way, one can affect another object or person in a similar way, whether they are physically connected or not. And that is sympathetic magic. One popular example of sympathetic magic is the voodoo doll. If you wanted to make someone sick or do something else bad to them, you would make a doll that looks like them and stick some pins in it. Or if you wanted to have some good luck, you might wear a charm that is associated with luck, such as a horseshoe, hanging a horseshoe in your home, or carrying a rabbit's foot. Now, you might be asking yourself, just how lucky was that rabbit who lost their foot and their life? And that's a good question. And the answer is, is that in many cultures, rabbits are known for their rapid production and high fertility rates. And this association with prolific breeding is seen as a symbol of abundance, prosperity, and good fortune. So the idea of a plentiful population of rabbits corresponds to the concept of a beautiful, bountiful, and prosperous life. When it comes to sympathetic magic, there are two main types, contagious magic and imitative magic. Contagious magic is based on the belief that objects that have once been in contact with each other continue to be connected, even after they are separated. For example, if you wanted to harm someone, you might steal a lock of their hair and burn it. It's the idea that if you have something that that was theirs, that was associated with them, that belonged to them, you can do something to that thing. So whether that's a we call those personal concerns. So that's hair, nails, um, saliva, semen, blood, any of those things. When you have those that 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 DNA, you can also do some kind of magic to their person spiritually and imitative magic is based on the belief that by imitating an action, you can cause the same action to happen in reality. So for example, if you wanted to make it rain, you might dance around in a circle and pretend to rain, or you might burn a candle, write a petition letter and add herbs and candles. And that is the basic idea behind performing a spell to get a desired outcome. So I'm going to break that down. And when you have an understanding of sympathetic magic, you can become a powerful spellcaster. If you want to learn more about correspondences and how they can help you write your own spells, sign up for my Spellcraft mini course. The link is in the description below. Every witch, wise person, or spiritual practitioner has a sacred space for performing their rituals, and that is a personal altar. An altar serves as a visual focus of your spiritual intentions, affirmations, prayers, and energy. It also serves as a place to center yourself, to recalibrate your mind and reground your energy. Depending on your needs for space, time, and privacy, your personal altar will be unique. Now, I have seen altars, all, all kinds of altars, different kinds. For example, I've seen altars on dressers. I've seen them on top of file cabinets, in a dresser drawer, in a shoebox under a bed, in a small candy tin like Altoids that's kept in a purse. I've seen them on fireplace mantles. I've seen altars in the glove compartment of a car, a whole small closet, or parts of that. I've seen them on a bookshelf, on a wall, and I've seen even entire rooms. And thanks to the witches on Instagram and Pinterest, I have seen all kinds of altars that are used when a witch desires to do some work. So once you decide where you'd like to have your altar, cleanse the space and consecrate it by blessing it as your special place, the place that's devoted to your magical work. Now as I mentioned in one of the other episodes, the elements of nature act as batteries for our spells. So you will want to have permanent things on your altar in or on your altar that represent earth, air, fire, and water. Now if you're short on space, then make sure that you have a candle because it represents all of the elements. The candle's wick represents earth, the flame is fire, the candle smoke is air, and the melted wax represents water. I like to keep what I call a work light on my altar. Some people call that a master candle. And the idea behind it is that when you light that particular candle, you are connecting with the divine. I like to call that my work light because when I light that candle, I'm letting spirit know that I'm about to get to work. Dang it. And that's whether I'm performing a ritual, or writing the script for this podcast. For me, lighting that master candle or that work light, it means that the channel is open and I am ready to receive. Now, if you have more space, air can be represented by incense or a feather. Some people like to have a glass of clean water on their altar to represent water as well as the spirits. Earth can be represented by crystals and and flowers too. And a candle can represent fire. So these are just some suggestions of what you might have on your altar. And you may also add meaningful items to your altar, such as statues, animal figurines, special jewelry, bells, etc. You know, maybe you've gone out and about, you're foraging, and you find little things that 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 you just really like, you might place those things on your altar. Maybe someone might give you something and you're like, oh, that's cool. I'm to put that on my altar. If the item has meaning to you and you want to keep it on your altar, then that's all you need. Now, if you are so inclined, you can also set up separate altars to honor ancestors or other deities or spe- uh, specific workings. Now, I won't be getting into those today, but I do offer an altar masterclass if you're interested. So it's a good idea to cleanse and reset your altar or altars at least once a season in order to refresh in the energy. Remember that this is your sacred space and a living extension of your magic. Earlier, I mentioned that imitative magic means that by imitating an action during a ritual, you can cause the same action to happen in reality and this is where correspondences, also known as associations, come in. In magic, correspondence is the belief that there is a natural connection between different things, such as planets, herbs, colors, and symbols, and this reflects the idea that the universe is this web of interconnected energy, and by working with these correspondences, a magician can tap into this energy and use it to achieve their goals, all right? I said that earlier, right? Okay, now, Different practitioners have different styles of spell crafting, but I want to walk you through the basic steps of a basic spell. Now, if you've been practicing magic for a while, you may notice that you do things in a different order and that's fine. This is just one example. And if you are new to magic, don't feel that everything that I say here is going to be exactly that for you. And if it's not, I don't want you to think that, oh, my magic's not working. That's not what I mean at all. But this is just a basic format of how a spell can go. So you'll have your master, your work candle on your altar, right? You already have that. But when you're doing a new spell, when you're doing a spell most of them will feature a brand new candle, and that's going to be the centerpiece. So that's going to be the centerpiece for most rituals. And when you finish adding to this candle, we also call it dressing the candle or fixing the candle. But when you finish working with it, it's going to represent your desired outcome. So you might start by writing a petition that sets your intention, AKA your desired outcome. And then you choose the size of the candle. You choose the color of the candle that corresponds with your intention. And by the way, if you don't have any colored candles, you can always use white ones. For the next step, some practitioners will carve a symbol or words that correspond with their intention. And after that, they may anoint the candle with a magical oil that corresponds with their intention. And then they may add glitter to the candle with colors that also correspond with their intention. And then around this spell candle, they may add herbs, flowers, or crystals that correspond with their intention. So you see where all of this is going from the colors the herbs, the oils, the incense, the crystals, the symbols, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. every action that is taken during this ritual, this spell, it's going to correspond to the intention, aka the desired outcome. Every time you add an ingredient that corresponds to your desired outcome, you add a layer of power to your spell. Now, at this point, if the practitioner is making a healing doll or a lucky charm, this would be the moment around this candle when they would assemble it. And when all of those actions are complete, the practitioner lights the candle and speaks their petition aloud, or perhaps they might speak some kind of incantation that rhymes, whatever works for you. And then they will complete the spell and release it so that their magic can begin the work of manifestation. If you want to learn more about correspondences and how they can help you write your own spells, sign up for my Spellcraft mini-course. The link is in the description below. In Greek mythology, Hecate, the goddess of magic and witchcraft, instructed her daughters in the herbal arts, and from that point on, Herbs, plants, flowers, and roots became a source of medicine and magic. The oldest written records of plant lore comes from Egypt, where medicine, perfumery, and magic were united into a metaphysical system of cures and allures. Similarly in India, plant lore and religion became the system of Ayurveda, which means the science of life. From Greece to Asia to Europe, from Judaism to Islam to Christianity, just about every culture attributes plants with magical properties and uses herbal magic in some form. When it comes to using herbs, oils, and incense in your spells, do your research to find the association. So for example, rose corresponds with the planet Venus And the element of water and its magical powers correspond with love healing psychic powers love and luck and protection so if you wanted to use rose in your spell you could use fresh or dried rose petals you could add rose water to a spiritual bath that you perform before your spell You could use rose oil to anoint your candle and or burn rose incense on your altar. Depending on your intention, you could use other herbs and flowers in addition to rose. But I wanted to give you an idea of the different ways that you can incorporate plant magic. If you'd like to learn more about herbs, Cunningham's Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs by Scott Cunningham is a fantastic reference book on the subject. The more you know about herbs and their correspondences, the more you'll be able to make substitutions when needed. So let's talk about crystals and how they work in magic and healing. A crystal is a natural, solid material whose atoms are arranged in a highly ordered repeating pattern. The first historical references to the use of crystals come from the ancient Sumerians. They came before the Greeks, and they included crystals in magic formulas. Of course, the ancient Greeks, they attributed a number of magical properties to crystals, and many of the names that we use today of crystals are of Greek origin. As human beings, we radiate a very low level of electricity that's otherwise known as an electromagnetic field, or aura. Crystals are believed to have particular vibrations and frequencies which arise from their molecular composition. So, from the way that they move and interact, the vibrations from the crystals enhance and transform our personal energetic fields. There are, inter- there are energy centers within the body that are associated with different aspects of our physical, emotional, and spiritual well being, they are called chakras. You may have heard of those. Each chakra is thought to resonate with specific colors, qualities, and vibrations. Crystals, with their unique energetic properties, are believed to interact with and influence these energy centers within our bodies. The belief is that the energetic properties of the crystals can help align, balance, and support the flow of energy within the chakras, promoting overall well-being and harmony. So when we wear or carry crystals, they're believed to balance and enhance our personal energy fields. Now, when we use crystals in spells, their vibrations help us to align with our intention. So when you have your candle on your altar and surround it with crystals that correspond to your intention, that adds a layer of power to your spell. So let's say that you were performing a spell to attract love in your life. Rose quartz crystals correspond with love as well as correspond with the heart chakra, which corresponds with love, compassion, and emotional balance. So when you're doing your spell, you could wear a rose quartz crystal necklace or bracelet to align yourself with that desire. You could also place a rose quartz crystal next to your candle to amplify its power if you'd like to learn more about crystals i'd like to recommend the book crystals for healing the complete reference guide of remedies for mind heart and soul by karen Fraser. this is a fantastic reference book on the subject And I have to shout out to my witchy bestie, Empress Shoshana, for that recommendation. Of course, you can check her out at lightyourownpath.com and on Instagram. And just like herbs, the more you know about crystals and their correspondences, the more you'll be able to make substitutions whenever needed. So that is today's episode on correspondences. I was originally going to call this episode, Your Altar, Herbs, and Crystals. Oh my! (laughs) But my intention was not to just tell you about the different elements and ingredients of your spell, but for you to understand just why they're important. To me, performing spells is like cooking. And when you know about the different ingredients and how they can be used, you can feel confident about going into your witchery and using whatever you have on hand, just like a master chef. So I want you to read up on correspondences and make reference notes in your book of shadows where you can easily refer to them later. Also, let me know how you enjoyed learning about correspondences. And this is the knowledge that takes you to the next level because. You are magic. Thanks for tuning in. Remember to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. And be sure to tell all your witchy friends. If you have a question or comment, drop me a line at theredsoulflower at gmail.com. That's S-O-U-L-F-L-O-W-E-R. And I'd love to hear from you. You can also join the Red Soulflower Magic Family on Facebook to continue the conversation.